And um, this morning we're going to continue in our series in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want you to turn in your Bibles there. Again, thank you for choosing the Gateway Church this morning. We know you have choices. And we've had a full morning missions. Um, but I'm going to preach from the Word. And I hope that you're hungry to hear from God's Word today. Are you hungry to hear God's Word today? I certainly hope so. And we're in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, where there are 58 verses on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to tackle verses 20 through 28. And it's interesting, especially as I was studying this week, I've, I feel so inadequate in some ways in regards to communicating God's heart in regards to the resurrection. My, I feel like I have a limited vocabulary against this grandiose concept of resurrection. My little mind, it's, it's, I'm trying to get my mind around these things so I can communicate clearly. And with God's help, how many know there can be revelation knowledge even this morning? And that's the goal. So in a previous message, we've explained that the Corinthian believers, um, they believed in Jesus' resurrection. They, some of them were even eyewitnesses of the fact that Jesus came back from the dead. But many of them did not believe in their own physical, literal, and bodily resurrection. And if you were with us the last couple of weeks, we talked about that. So Paul, he starts off uh, in this dissertation in chapter 15. He shows them saying, hey, this is where we all believe. And then he shows them the truth as if he were a lawyer or on a debate team. And he provides a defense of the resurrection. And he says this, this is the truth. He says, look, if you love Jesus, there will be a resurrection, and you will live in heaven for eternity. But there, this is also true. He says, if you don't know Jesus, there will be a bodily resurrection as well, the second resurrection, which we'll talk about, where our bodies become a vessel fit for destruction, the Bible says, and will endure hell for eternity. And that's the truth of what we're talking about. And in verses 20 through 28, Paul continues this explanation. And in the first part, what we're going to see is that he shows a correlation between Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection. And then he begins to talk about our future. When will the resurrection happen for us? And he gives us some clues. And so I want to remind or remember this as well, that as we talk about this, this is one of the greatest truths found in Scripture. We cannot underestimate this. Our hope, our strength, our motivation uh, in life and all that we do should be founded, should be rooted in the resurrection. And, uh, and so we cannot underestimate these things. And so with, uh, with your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, I want you to stand. And if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen or you can grab a Bible anytime on the back uh, tables and we can uh, track along in that way as well. But let, let's look at these verses. Verse 20 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead can't, comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own term, Christ the firstfruit, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy 
to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when he says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. Verse 28, when he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word that transforms us, that helps us along our way. And God, I pray as we track through these few verses, God, that you would just illuminate our hearts and our spirits. And God, help us to respond uh, in an appropriate fashion at the end. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. Amen. In the first 11 verses of chapter 15, Paul reminds the Corinthians of what they believe. In 12 through 19, which we talked about last week, it shows them they better believe it or they have lost everything. They, that everything they believe would be meaningless if it wasn't true, the resurrection. And now here, he restates their truth in verse 20 and in 23. Look what it says. It says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruit of those who have fallen asleep. In verse 23, But each to his own turn, Christ the firstfruits. And so Paul adds a new thought, a new idea in their minds, and he talks about firstfruits. Now, how many have heard the term first fruits at some level in church or in, you know, as you've read through scripture and you may have uh, some understanding. Uh, some of you have and some of you don't. And so really this is rooted from Leviticus chapter 23, verse 10, where it was required at the Passover before the harvest could be made. So you're a farmer, you put out in the field in barley in this case, and the first crops that come up, you were required at harvest time to bring um, the first cut, the first portion, you would wrap it up and you presented it to the priests. You'd bring it to the temple or to the, to the tent of meetings. And it was an Old Testament requirement and it had to be given first. Now, because of that, farmers would plant at different times and it'd be somewhat progressive because if problems came at different times, different seasons or storms or a little later might get a little more rain and there was different parts of the crop, but the first crops, and this is important, the first portion, which you know was good, that you first got to show that you loved God, you would take that first part rather than just stash it away and store it later for later, you would give it to the church or give it to the, the temple and to give it to the priest. And you say, well, why would they do that? Well, you give it to God as an act of faith. It was a faith thing right off the top, the best with no promise of any other return. And you couldn't harvest the rest until you had done this at Passover. That's what first fruits really was talking about. And the principle that I mentioned before I preach here is that uh, what you do with the first portion determines what happens with the rest. And that's just a biblical principle in our lives. And it can you know, deal with our time. It can deal with our money. It can deal with relationships. What you do with the first portions will determine what, is, what will happen with the rest. And Paul is saying this is true with, re with resurrection with resurrection power. John MacArthur, I like what he said. He said, it is the resurrection of Christ 
And he comes out of the grave and he offers himself to God. And then in that offering, what happens? He secures for us our resurrection. That's the connection. First fruits were a sign or a symbol of the coming harvest. And so is the resurrection of Christ. Jesus was the first fruit. And it was, he was a symbol, a sign of the coming resurrection of all believers, including you and including me, if you love the Lord. It was a guarantee. Jesus was the first fruit. He was the first one. Now, it also says in that verse there that of those that had fallen asleep, and some people look at that and they talk about soul sleep, which I don't believe. What this is talking about is physical death. That when you die, when your body becomes, um, uh, you take your last breath, your body starts to decay. But your spirit will go on to heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. You can write it down. We're not going to look at those verses, but Paul was confident of that fact, that there was a, a bodily uh, death, and then your spirit would live on. In fact, he talked about that being absent from the body means to be present with, the, with Jesus in heaven. There is one place I do want to uh, turn, is Philippians chapter 1. Turn with me there, if you would. We see this, again, Paul writing to the Philippian church, he says this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The idea here is that he knew that his body, that his spirit would live on forever, and eventually his body would be risen up. We'll look at verse 22. If I am, going, uh, if I am to go on living in the, in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. The idea is that he, Paul understood that when he took his last breath here on this side of eternity, that was not the end. That was just the beginning. And he's saying, look, I desire, I long to be in heaven with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Very powerful. He's saying, look, the earth is okay. What's happening here, this is okay, but heaven, that is where the glory is. And what's beautiful about that, and which we kind of underestimate, in, especially in our culture, because we have it somewhat okay. I mean, there's trouble, there's trials, we get that. But on this side of eternity, in the American culture, West Michigan, where we live, how many know that most of us have it pretty good, don't we? And because of that, we don't long for heaven the way that people do in other parts of the world. When I was in Africa last year, I've, I've shared this before, the, the, the people there, they were looking forward to that moment when they would meet Jesus face to face. And it's just really true. And, he's, and Paul's understanding that. And so he says, look, when you die, your body dies, but your spirit goes on. But this is not the resurrection. It's very important that you understand that. And it's at the resurrection, which is to come, the body will awaken and be glorified at that point. Now, back to the first, uh, first uh, fruits idea. Uh, some people look at this and say, well, was Jesus the first person to be raised from the dead? Does anybody want to take a stab at that? Was Jesus the first? 
No, he wasn't the first to be raised. The Old Testament, uh, some people were raised from the dead. Elijah, for example, uh, brought a boy back to life, right? The New Testament, Jesus actually raised three people from the dead. Uh, Jairus' daughter, the son of a widow, and Lazarus. But what I want you to notice here is that all of those people that were raised from the dead, brought back from the dead, they died again. But Jesus, when he came back to life, he continued to leave. He was ascended in heaven. You can read about it in Acts chapter 1. So Jesus, our Redeemer, was not the first out of the grave, but he was the first fruit. He was the first example. He is the guarantee of our resurrection harvest that we can look forward to and expect and uh, anticipate. Let's look at verses 21 and 22. And, they, and he continues the thought. He says, For since death came through a man... Through Jesus, we talked about that last week, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. I love these verses because what this does, it gives us the focus, and it is really on us, the redeemed, our connection with Adam. Paul saw Adam as a type of Christ. In Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 20, I would encourage you to write that down. You can study that later as well. We won't take the time this morning to dive into that. But Paul is saying, look, you cannot isolate the resurrection any more than you can isolate the act of Adam. You say, well, what was the act of Adam? What happened, right? One man at one time, his choice affected all humanity, Adam and Eve, right? Uh, look at it in Genesis chapter 3. And the result of sin was it led to death. And no one objects to this truth. We all will breathe our last breath at some point. We will all die. Nobody gets out unless the Lord were to rapture us up and take us home. And the sin nature, it results in spiritual death, right? And physical death. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, a little later in the chapter, in fact, you can just flip over, at least in my Bible, it's the next page over, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, 46, and 47, look what it says. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. And let me try to explain. The idea here is the first Adam, Adam and Eve, right? Was, they were made from the dirt, made from the earth. They disobeyed God and brought sin and death into the world. And Paul here is making the correlation, the first Adam and the second Adam, who is Jesus, the last Adam, he came from heaven, he obeyed the Father, and he brought righteousness and life. You see the correlation? And so because we can understand that Adam, we all are sinners because of that, well, the same is true with Jesus. He's making the correlation. Because Jesus rose from the grave, we as believers will raise from the grave uh, as well. And you may ask the question, well, will all be saved? Look what it says. All will be made alive in Christ, right? And there are some uh, that we call them universalists that believe that everybody will be in heaven. 
In fact, a few years ago, uh, a very popular writer um, uh, from the Grand Rapids area, some of you may know uh, who I'm talking about, was uh, talking about some of these, uh, these ideas. And I would say that is not true. What does it say there? If you were in Adam, you were born, you had no choice, you were going to be a sinner. You did not have to teach your kids how to disobey, how to sin. You just don't, right? They get it right off the bat because they've got a sin nature. Well, the same is true for those that are in Christ, and that's the key. For those that are in Christ, who believe in Christ, they will be made alive. The point, it depends on which person you're linked with. So if, if you die and you're in Adam, if you have not, don't have Christ inside of you, you will remain in Adam. You'll be dead to your sin or dead in your sin. If you live, if you say, I will put my faith in Christ, all who are in Christ will live. And if you're not in Christ, you're still in Adam and you die. The point is, we, the redeemed, are redeemed through Christ. Very, very important. Now, in verse 23, we'll continue. Look what it says. Verse 23, Paul begins to explain when the resurrection will happen. He says this, but each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruit, then when he comes, those who belong to him. And what's very interesting is I studied this, and this is really where I feel like some of my, um, uh, I, I could use a lot more education in regards to this, but I studied and read a whole lot. The idea here in that verse is order, each in his own turn. Uh, in the Greek, it means order, that God has an order. He has a sequence in the resurrection. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll get some insight into this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. It's a little bit lengthy. I wanted to read this. That's why I didn't read some of the earlier scriptures, but look what it says. It says, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Again, falling asleep is not just taking a nap or soul sleep. Um, this is death of your body, is, uh, goes to the grave, starts to decay, or to grieve though like the rest of men who have no hope. He's saying, look, to the Thessalonica church, he's saying, look, we have hope, right? We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. Talking about the resurrection. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that, that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who had fallen asleep. You say, what is this talking about? Look what it says. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay? That's the first resurrection. After that, we if we're still here, who are still alive and are left with the, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. It's talking about the first resurrection there. And the idea is that, that this is, I mean, this is an incredible, exciting passage that the, this is resurrection of life. And it is a process. In fact, there are several passages, including Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, John chapter 5, verses 25 through 29, and Revelation 20 in particular, that indicate that there is no such thing as a general 
revelation or general resurrection where we'll all be raised at the, at the same time. In fact, uh, some scholars even look to when Jesus um, uh, was risen from the grave, there were saints from the Old Testament that rose with Jesus. You may remember reading that, and that was one, part of the resurrection as well. Very interesting. But it indicates that there's no such thing as general revelation. There will be several phases in the resurrection. And that's where the rest of these verses, starting in 24 or 23 and on, uh, get interesting. Look at what it says. But each in his own turn, right? Uh, in order, Christ the firstfruit, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Verse 24, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet when, uh, now when it says that everything has been put under under him, it is clear that it does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. And then 28 says this, when he has done this, all right, so this is the progression, right? Then the Son of Man himself will be made subject to him who has put everything under him and God may be all in all. And I read that because when is the resurrection? What, what, we, what are we seeing here? We're seeing in this passage some clues. The first clue is the first fruits, that Jesus, he's the first fruit. He's the first one that provided the way. The second clue is that Adam is linked to Jesus in some way. The same idea that because Adam brought sin to the world, same for all mankind, Jesus has allowed or made provision for everyone that believes in him. If they're in Christ, they will be resurrected as well. And the third clue is, is this, where my mind struggles a bit, and this is how I make sense of it, this is what we believe, that nobody in the first resurrection will suffer loss. We read about that in 1 Thessalonians. They'll be caught up with Jesus, and then those that remain will be caught up with Jesus as well. The second part is very interesting. We see in Revelation chapter 20 is that nobody in the second resurrection will be saved. There's damnation, and we'll see that. See, what happens is when Jesus Christ comes to the earth to judge, he will banish sin for a thousand years and establish his kingdom. We see that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. You can write it down. I encourage you to read it uh, a little later. So Jesus comes. He takes away all sin for a thousand years. He establishes his kingdom, and we will reign and rule with him. Believers will reign with him and share his glory. We will share his authority at that moment. How many look forward to that time where we'll reign and rule with him? And this kingdom, which was prophesied in the Old Testament, it's called what? The millennium, right? A thousand years. And then after the millennium, there will be one final rebellion against God. And we see that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. And again, it'll be a rebellion against God in which Jesus Christ will put down simply by the word of his power. He will speak one final time in his, uh, his words, in which we read uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 here, will make the difference. And then the lost will be raised. They'll be judged at the second uh, resurrection. And they'll be cast into the lake of fire, which we call hell. And then death itself, Satan, shall be cast into hell forever and ever. And the last enemy shall be destroyed. We see that in verse 26. And Jesus will have to put 
all things, or he will put all things under his feet, verse 27 in 1 Corinthians 15. And then Jesus will then turn the kingdom over to the Father. And then the eternal state will come, the new heavens and new earth. And again, what will this all look like? You read it in, uh, in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And uh, it gives us a picture. It blows my mind, can I just say. <laughs> and it probably blows some of your minds as well. But the question is, is when will Jesus Christ return for his church? And when will the first resurrection come? And that's the one as believers that we should be most concerned about because we'll be caught up if we, uh, if we pass. When will that occur? Well, nobody knows, right? No one knows the day or the hour. But we do know, the Bible says, that it will happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, yes, resurrection is absolutely real. That's Paul's point here. He's saying we will be resurrected and that resurrection, it is coming. And it's coming soon. And you need to be ready. And if anything else uh, doesn't jump out at you this morning, if you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior, you must receive Christ in order to be caught up with him in heaven. One final verse in, in verse 28, it says at the very end there, so that, why would all this happen? So that God may be God or all in all. And what's interesting here is that in Genesis, at the beginning of scripture, we know that God was. And in Revelation, we know at the very end of, of scripture that God is. The point is he has been, he is, and he always will be. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first, he's the last. And what I really liked is how Gordon Fee wrapped up some of the thoughts on this particular section of Scripture. He said this, he says uh, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians 15, he says, We do not merely live out our length of days and then have the hope of resurrection as an addendum. He says, look, we can live now. He says, Christ's resurrection has set in motion a chain of events that absolutely determines our present and our future. The idea is that the resurrection affects our day to day. There's resurrection power available for us. He continued, he said, Christ is the first fruits of those who are his, who will be raised at his coming. That ought both to reform the way we currently live and reshape our worship into seasons of unbridled rejoicing. Isn't that beautiful how he put that? And as I was studying and just kind of wrapping my mind around that thought, especially that last thought that our, it should reshape our worship. The truth really matters, the present and the future, that it reforms the way we live, it reshapes our worship in the season of our rejoicing. The idea there brought me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when we talked about the Lord's Supper. Remember the theme when we talked about that? It was all about celebration. It was about rejoicing that Yes, Christ died, but he's risen. And because he's risen, we can face tomorrow, but we can face eternity with great hope, with great strength. It is a time for celebration. This morning, 
we're going to have a time of celebration. We're going to have a time of receiving the Lord's Supper together. And God, He wants to capture your heart with this word from 1 Corinthians 15. But turn with me back just a couple pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Remember, we studied this a couple months ago. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then verse 26 is the key. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And church, he's coming with resurrection power for you and for me. And this morning, we're going to enjoy this song, uh, Blessed Assurance. I want you to sing it out. The elements will be passed out. We want to hold on to those elements. We'll receive communion together. But more than anything, let's bow our heads and just ask God at this moment to minister to our hearts. Lord, I pray this morning that you would capture us in your, in your own way, God. Capture our hearts and our minds. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in these next few moments in regards to your resurrection and our future resurrection. In Jesus' name.